Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Uh, my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, uh, wasn't able to be on with me today, so I'm flying solo. But I have a great guest today who's written a wonderful children's book, which I love. It is so it's so beautiful. Angie Lucas, she's from Utah. Hi, Angie. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. She's an author and a freelance writer, and this is her debut picture book. Hold it up here. <laughs> and it is called My Big Dumb Invisible Dragon. And it won the praise of the Kirkus Reviews and Publishers Weekly. And she's also achieved a rare motherhood with one <laughs> child through marriage, one child through adoption, and one child through birth. Did you tell me you'd had a miscarriage also one time? Or? I did, yes. I had a couple of miscarriages along the way. One was in the second trimester. That was um, my first pregnancy after 10 years of trying. Um, I finally was pregnant and um, we, lo we lost that baby in the second trimester. And then I had another very early miscarriage after that. But those feelings of grief is what brought me on the journey to where I am today. Like all of, all of that, that's, that's where the story kind of began for me. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and give us a, a quick rundown on the story. I love the story in the pictures of the dragon. So in the story, um, it's about a little boy whose mother dies at the beginning of the story, and it happens off the page, so it's not really obvious. In the story, the boy loses his mother, and um, and it begins with the arrival of a dragon, um, this big, dumb, invisible dragon that perches on the boy's shoulders and weighs him down. It makes it hard for him to go to school. Um, it makes things around him look shadowy and heavy, and he... Um, he resents the presence of this dragon and so he he tries to bargain with it. You'll recognize these stages we talk about. Um, he gets angry at it. He um, sometimes wraps himself up in the wings of the big dragon and just sinks into it. Uh, but he goes through all these stages in and out of them and um, he finds as he goes along that sometimes, at first while the dragon's there all the time, there are times when he feels the dragon lift up and fly away for a minute and he feels back to his old self for a minute. But then of course he has a birthday party and then the dragon's back. So over time he learns how to um, navigate the presence of this unwelcome you know, guest who has come into his life and learns to um, kind of make peace with him being there. Grief, this heaviness, which you actually personified as a dragon, which is a lovely idea, can come and go. It's not with us constantly, which I think people forget. Right, and I, th I mean, it is at first, and it, the thing that I wanted this book to do was be a reminder or a, give a sense of hope to a child that at the beginning of the book, it feels like it's never gonna get smaller. It feels like it's gonna be this heavy and dark forever and ever. And I just want a child to have this glimmer of hope that it might, it will go away for a while. It, and, and to not be surprised that if it goes away that it's gonna come back, especially on events and milestones and things like that, but that over time it will get smaller and you will learn to live with it, but it doesn't disappear entirely. Um, 
And I love the way that the illustrator, her name is Brigitte Sif. Um, she's from Iceland originally. Beautiful, beautiful illustrations. She gives this dragon um, this tender aspect. He, um, the dragon looks almost maternal. And I wasn't envisioning that at first when I wrote the story, but I absolutely love how it's like grief, this presence of grief is a caring presence. It's not just an ominous, heavy, horrible presence. There's a sense of almost love in it because grief has love wrapped in it. It's why, that's why it hurts so much is because the person who's gone, we loved them so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love, I love that idea of the grief wrapped in. You know, um, as adults, we get, pick up these books and this will be good for my child to deal with the grieving process, but really it also takes us back and it's a lovely thing for adults. And I was reading through it and thinking about my own grief in my life uh, and yeah, the people that I'd loved and lost and how that presence you know, that imaginary, the heaviness of grief comes and goes, which is such an important aspect because when people are, you know, it's part of the hope that you will feel better, that things will keep better. But the reality is the grief also connects us with them, connects us with the ones we love. And sometimes it's hard to give up that right. dragon, that feeling. There's a comfort in that shadowy piece. Right. It's almost like when you feel guilty the first time you laugh or the first time you feel happy for a minute, there's that, that, those conflicting feelings that you, cause you do want to, you know, it's in the story, the boy does have moments where he just wants to just wrap up in it and, and, and be in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that seeing all the different ways that we relate to our, our grief is important. So people know that there will be phases and it will change and shift over time. Mm -hmm. And people looking at children too. It, it's uh, the way you've done the book. It's a great book to look at to realize how children do come and go and and experience uh, the grief. But I love imaginary friends too because my sister growing up had a very best friend who wasn't real. <laughs> and then I was thinking about the imaginary world we have in grief and loss because I think organized religion and and Buddhism and all those things are very much involved with imaginary friends, angels. Or this, this idea of presence, you know. And I love the quote from um, Anna Quinlan, the writer. She called grief the continuous presence of an absence. And I love the way she acknowledges that there, there's a presence to it. It's not just like they're gone. You, you feel they're, they're, um, them being gone so heavily. You know, there's almost a presence to it. So I, I yeah. like that, that analogy you've been through a lot. What is some advice you would give people who were, say, having trouble getting pregnant or trying to decide about their life or have had miscarriages and that kind of thing? What, what kept you going? What kept the hope for you? You know, I think I, I just had to really um, let myself be where I was at each given time and like kind of try to be as present as I could because uh, the problem with these infertility journeys that's so hard is that it makes it really hard to see your future, what to do next. There's always another deadline or test or something that you need to do next. And, you know, I would sometimes project way too far in the future and then it would just become overwhelming. I had to just be like, what step do I feel good about taking right now? And where do I feel like, what, what else do I feel like I can handle right now? Because, um, you know, at a certain point, you, you might have to take a break for a while, which I definitely did. For this process to have lasted 12 years, I wasn't just constantly 
at it. I had to just, I had to live my life. I well, did. there's a lot of grief in there too. Let's stop right. and say that. You had yeah. to go to the, go to the dragon and, <laughs> and, uh, and then not, and then have it happen again. It's definitely a big roller coaster. And there were times when I needed to just live my life and take a break from it and say, I, I just can't handle focusing on this anymore. Um, and so I, I would kind of go up and down and up and down and, um, we did our adoption and I didn't want to do that until that was really my, uh, I didn't want it to be a second choice, if that makes sense. I wanted to make sure that I was a hundred percent all in on wanting to adopt. And we did get to that point where that's what we wanted to do. And that path felt right. So we went down that path and that was a wonderful experience. We did our adoption first and then ended up doing all the infertility as, as a, you know, the, the next, I guess, stage of infertility. I kind of had the outcome I wanted and I expected to get there much more quickly. It still took four years of wow. up and down and up and down. And I think it's also important to just honor your own journey and your own story. Sometimes I would, you know, I would hear somebody's story. Well, it took them seven rounds of IVF to get pregnant. So I'd be like, oh no, that's going to be my story. I'm going to have to do seven rounds or, you know, I, I couldn't identify too strongly with any one story. I just had to really take it step by step. I wanted to ask you, has writing helped you? Writing helped me a ton. Um, I am a journaler and always have been a writer. I used to work in the scrapbooking industry where we would do a lot of memory keeping and writing really helps me to um, make sense of things. The very act of writing gives you a sense of almost control over your story. It makes mm -hmm. it so that you get to make sense of it, you get to decide what things mean. And I, I love that. We sometimes think that the things that happen to us just mean something outside of ourselves, but really we get to decide what they mean. We get to make those connections and it helps me a lot to feel like I have a sense of, of control, even though we don't have a sense of control, but it's this idea that you can um, take back some control over the things that happen to you and decide how it fits into your your personal story one thing i like about um writing also is that sometimes i feel like i may forget it if i put it down i don't have to keep remembering it i do think there's yeah this purging that can happen in the sense of like catharsis it plants the idea that it's possible to make sense of these things like the fact that you're writing it down and putting it into a sentence or a paragraph instead of it just being this thing I can't make sense of that happened to me, like I get to make sense of it. And mm -hmm. there's something about that organizational process that I think is really powerful. My hope with the book is to help people connect, um, you know, across different experiences and just feel like even though our, every grief is completely unique, every loss is completely unique, we can feel less alone in that when we know others can relate to pieces of it. Tell us where we can get it. Give us your website. So I'm at angielucas.com and at my website, if you sign up for my newsletter, which I don't send all that often, but there is this lovely kit that comes with it that has activities and coloring pages and things that will help children and adults engage with the themes of the story in much deeper ways. But the book itself is available um, just anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show today. It's been delightful and good luck with your book. Thank you so much. I, it was wonderful being here. And uh, we want to remind all of you that if you've lost hope, please visit us at Open to Hope, where you can lean on our hope till you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.